Hello, world, and welcome to This Week on Planet Internet. My name is Ellen Stevens, and I'm the editor and community advocate uh, here at Hacker Noon. Uh, and today, I will be playing the role of your host. Afternoon podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by two stunning guests on one side of the planet, located in Colorado, USA. We have the intelligent Hung, who is our business analyst superhero. Hello, welcome. And on the other side of the planet, in literally London, England, uh, we have Mr. Nicholas, who is one of our star junior editors. Welcome. Hello, thanks for having me on the show. Nice, you look awkward. <laughs> oh god why do you have to point that out that'll be worse i so, love it too. i well, like calling people out so sorry <laughs> great okay so today we have a hard-hitting episode prepared for listeners and viewers that will examine space hotels the historic collapse of the soviet union uh and how it contributed to mass crypto adoption in the Ukraine, as well as what is going on with Facebook and the whistleblower. To start us off, we will examine the complexity of the latest Facebook saga. What are the accusations against them? And does their shutdown have anything to do with the allegations? So I have an article here uh, from The Guardian. So titled, A Facebook Whistleblower Accuses Firm of Serially Misleading Over Safety. So, Hung, could you briefly describe what the article is about and your thoughts on what stood out for you? Okay. So, on over the weekend and on Monday, and I'm sorry for the background noise because that's what Denver is. That's how Denver is. So, on Monday... There's this um, 60 minutes interview that's accused literally Facebook of a lot of like, there's like a total of eight complaints and accusations against Facebook. And in short, uh, they accused Facebook of knowingly choosing to permit political misinformation and contest statements along with like hate speech and mental health issue in teenagers against like toward his toward his user. So the complaints against Facebook, Alan, can you scroll down a little bit? <laughs> no, no, you can keep going. Yes. So the complaints against Facebook is approach to his speech, teenage mental health, human trafficking. His speech, preferential treatment against toward VIP people. I didn't even know Facebook has VIP users. What do they do? Like it Donald Trump a VIP user? Failed to and it also failed to inform investors about declining user base in demography. So it's people in at the age of 23 and under, uh, they see a declining number in uh, users. In Facebook, which I agree. I mean, like, I'm a Zen. I'm pretty sure Nick is also a Zen. And like, our friend don't really use Facebook anymore just to have an account. So, right. yeah. what do you think? What do you think of the uh, accusations? 
Yeah. So I think that they're definitely pretty serious. I think that we can agree, generally speaking, that all of these things, if true, they're not ideal for society, for sure. What about what about Nicholas? Do you have a Facebook account? Yeah, like Hank said, I do technically have a Facebook account, but I haven't touched it in six years. I, I kind of log in to, to see which spammer is trying to like, add me to, to my friends, add, add themselves <laughs> into my friends list and all that. But I don't actually know anyone my age who seriously uses Facebook of their own volition. And I think that this is like confirmation there really is a decline because a Facebook never really addresses that. But I think we all knew what was happening. Yeah. The fact that they've been playing it down is, uh, is a bit damning. Yeah, it's not like they're playing it down. I think they just try to mislead the investor. Like overall, the user base of Facebook is still going up because if you don't use it, I'm pretty sure our parents use this. Our grandparents use this. Can you believe it? Both my grandparents have a Facebook account. My parents are active Facebook users. I don't understand. They know more about Facebook than myself. And for me, I, I only have Facebook because I need to update my family in Vietnam how I am doing and to make sure like I'm still alive. But I can confirm also even my friends who don't use Facebook a lot anymore. And Nick, I'm curious, what is your type, what is your main social media? Technically Reddit, but from actually communicating with my friends, it's Instagram. Yeah, same. But like, see, Instagram is still a part of the Facebook empire. So, so when Facebook talk to the investor about the user base, they may or may not. I haven't followed Facebook like quarter review, like earning call for two quarters now because I don't care anymore. So just to jump in here a little bit. So when you guys have used Facebook or any other such platform that's associated with them, do you find a lot of hateful content or do you find that it's largely like family photos and uh, silly memes and stuff like that? Personally, it's the latter. I don't really like, I don't really engage in things outside of the bare minimum social like yeah. interaction. So I wouldn't really find hate mail, uh, hate speech. But I think if, say, someone's parents are more invested on the platform, spent more time there, then they would definitely encounter hate speech before. If you follow the vaccination status in the US, a lot of people refuse to get vaccinated, right? And like, based on the state you are in, they will have like app to tell people like, hey, go okay, go get vaccinated. And uh, below you can find a lot of comments like, you don't know what in the vaccine or like vaccinated people are stupid, something like that. I do consider it a hateful comment, but because I'm never on Facebook much, much I don't know if they are still like a thing. For Instagram, I never really have like, his pitch because all oh, my friends just are just shit posts a lot just the silly content yeah that's what I was thinking about because I do use Facebook on a regular basis and very seldom do I see hate content there might be silly content there might be quirky content but none of it I think I would identify as being necessarily hateful what, what I do see though is Facebook removing if, if a joke maybe 
is a little bit too edgy, it gets removed. And there's a lot of complaints actually that there's a bit of overregulation happening with Facebook. So I do, I do wonder about these allegations. Branching off that, do you think allegations should be treated as fact? And Nicholas could take that one. Broadly speaking, I would say no, unless it's proven in a court of law, because we generally operate on the principle of uh, innocent unless different is proven. So not right. really, but Maybe. this, but in this instance, we are looking at a whistleblower who is like bringing evidence. So it's not more concrete than a simple accusation. I think she has the she has the information and evidence to back up her claims. So I think sure. So I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. So actually, I have a quote here from the Guardian from that article, uh, and it does say that our anonymous client is disclosing original evidence showing that Facebook. So I do wonder who did these studies allegedly because. If I hired someone, they want to remain anonymous. They looked at maybe like, I don't know, like only a smidge of the content that Facebook uses, analyzed that, said I'm an anonymous, and then presented it as a research paper. That That's not necessarily really good evidence. So I definitely wonder about the, the quality and the alleged research that was done by Facebook about this. So again, that'll be for the courts to decide. It did make me, it did make me wonder, especially that line, an anonymous an anonymous client. So by the point that this article was published, like that woman was already a public. I do wonder who who provided this original evidence. So I am a little bit curious with respect to that. I'm sorry, Ellen. I need to chime in here. Usually I'm making accusations against such a big empire like Facebook. Do you want to make yourself, do you want to go forward and say, hey, my name is Ellen. I have, I'm having the accusation against Facebook. And with are like Facebook suing you or like the whole Facebook legal team suing you? So I think normally my perspective, at least, uh, usually these people are sometimes threatened or bribed or whatever else. Maybe they do, they have an allegiance to a particular party. So sometimes that person, maybe they don't even want to say these things, but they're forced into it. I do wonder a little bit about that. I wonder what the motive, I wonder what the relationship with Facebook this person has. So she was part of a group that was assigned to monitor the election. And then that group was dissipated. And so I don't know if her job was like, I don't know exactly the circumstances of what happened, but it did make me question some of these allegations. It's up to the courts to see if it's in fact true. But I did have another another thing to ask you guys is, do you think that, so let's assume, so they're accused of knowing about trafficking, for example, which is very bad. But so trafficking unfortunately happens with, with like people will get trafficked on those shipping containers, for example. So should we stop all trade because there is a fringe of society doing really horrible things? And how much can private companies really be responsible for the things that, you know, people choose to do? That is a question that I have because when you're servicing such a large population of users, sometimes things are going to are gonna happen and you try and ban those accounts. But this, again, I, I really question, we all know, for example, that Bad things happen on ships and shipping containers, but we don't stop trade. So I do, does anyone have maybe an input input on that statement? 
tongue. <laughs> Nick, did you have anything to say about this? Honestly, also, Ellen, you know, by private company, do you mean public company? Because Facebook is totally not private at all. Sure. And it's not a government entity. or So, like, do you mean, like, the social media who, like, service such a large population of people? And I don't know. Um, this is, we are not, we are normal users are not responsible for whatever the, let's just say, the bad guys do. Like, this is, I understand this is inevitable because like Facebook serves like billions of people in the world. The thing with the accusation is that it's not like we should stop or trust or not. If they don't know it, if Facebook don't know it, and for some reason they miss it, this, they can't do anything about it because they don't even know about it. The accusation here is that Facebook knows about it and they just chose to let it happen because allegedly. maybe some of the, yeah, allegedly. Yeah, that's why I say the accusation here is. So if that's true, this is a very bad case for Facebook because human trafficking is always a big crime in the world. And if that is a real thing, then we have nothing to do. Facebook will be in a, like a huge scandal. But here, I don't know, this is an accusation. So if your question is, should we just stop using other social media? using if we just try to ban all social media in general i just say no because social media is still a way for people to connect like for example my family is all the way in vietnam so i still need some kind of some sort of social media to connect with them but we have the right to choose what kind of content we that we post on the social media like for me if i have a small like a very small child in the house i would never post that pictures his or her pictures on social media. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I have a very crazy story about like people stalk you and then try to like kidnap your sister or kidnap your brother. And I never want that to happen to my family. That makes sense. And I hope that answers your questions. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I think that's a really smart. Just before we, we move, actually, yeah, it is questionable to me. Sometimes people very publicly post photos. No, that's their choice. Well, that's their choice. They want to share the happening with the world. I yeah. just choose not to do it like there's no judgment against people who do it okay that's you know i think that was a a great and balanced discussion there Uh, and so oh another one following all the accusation on monday facebook instagram and whatsapp went under a six hour global outage nobody could get access to them and this is the longest outage since 2008 just i I don't think it kind of sucks but Maxos towards it from configuration change in the backbone, backbone router. So it's all the engineering problem. So I, it, what, what really happened, I don't know if everyone was following, but at around that time, Hacker Noon published an article called Why You Should Quit Social Media Permanently. And it was an article talking about how quitting social media uh, allows you to have more time with real friends, more time in general, more spontaneity, less politics, and attentiveness to the world around you. And then Facebook went down. So, hmm, crazy coincidence. So just to relay one final element on this, Mark Zuckerberg does deny the claims and that they don't really make uh, very much logic sense. So we'll see how that plays out. But I did want to move on to to the next article that 
we have here, and it is about Ukrainians and how they are the top adopters of cryptocurrency in the world. Do you guys see the article, right? Yes, I do see that. Okay, perfect. And I think our star, Nicholas, here uh, reviewed the article. So briefly describe what, what it was about and your thoughts on the article. Sure. So in brief, this article is covering basically the effects of uh, Ukraine's parliament passing legislation that that essentially acknowledges and defines cryptocurrency legally in the country. It's not really setting up Bitcoin as like a legal tender and not really going out in the streets paying with it. But it is it is the start of, it could be the start of such a system. It's laying down the framework for integrating cryptocurrency a little bit more. And it's just interesting in general to read about how Ukraine is how Ukraine is joining a host of other countries in in acknowledging cryptocurrency as a currency. But I think some things I found very interesting about the article is that it confirms that or is continuing a trend that developing countries are using crypto as a way of dealing with with corrupt banks. For example, mm-hmm. they they don't have a lot of trust in their banking system, and uh, yeah. And uh, it also adds a bit more legitimacy to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in general, because another government is recognizing it and trying to lay the groundwork to integrating it properly with their banking sector. And I believe that was a small part about nuclear reactors, or them producing excess energy being used to to, to produce Bitcoin. I think that's also something that's very interesting to look at, because there are significant energy implications to farming Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. But they have found a way to do it without worsening the the impact on the climate by using a sustainable resource and nuclear energy to do it. So I think the article covers a lot of stuff that is very interesting. And I think this good reason to be optimistic to the future of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general. Great. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, that you definitely got the main points there. Did you have a chance to uh, review and what are your thoughts on the article? I think it's very interesting and disclaimer. Okay, disclaimer to listen. Okay, this is not a call for you to go and buy Bitcoin or Ethereum. We have nothing with the invest investment of cryptocurrency. So I think it's a very interesting, interesting story about the adoption of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general in like many developing countries. Especially, I think I read about Venezuela also like trying to adopt cryptocurrency because of the inflation in their in the money and I mean this is mean uh, cryptocurrency is getting more validation around the world and the future of banking and finance the traditional banking finance and the fiat money is in question as lead in the um, de- developing country that's like that's what I can tell from skimming the article I didn't really like read it like in details. I, I can't like I can't they read it in the like Nick because well hello but yeah well I think yeah so it is an interesting so both of you touched upon this trend of developing countries adopting Bitcoin and I think that is fascinating because I think we were on a previous podcast before uh, with Utsav who had mentioned that sometimes countries, they have sanctions and other things like that from countries with a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those countries will not necessarily let the smaller countries borrow a certain amount of money. 
And so this cryptocurrency allows them to gain a sort of independence uh, and access to greater wealth uh, than they might otherwise. So what's interesting about the relationship between Ukraine and Russia is that Russia has been like the big brother uh, situation and they've invaded Ukraine a, a number of times. And part of the adoption has to do a little bit with that. So I think in about 2014, they, so here's what it says. I don't know if I'll, I'll find it down here, but basically what it's saying is after Russia invaded Ukraine in 2014, Ukraine's economy took a nosedive and Ukraine's national currency, the I think, lost 70% of its value against the dollar. That's not funny. I was just laughing at my own pronunciation. This further undermined the savings and spending power of the public. Now, the average person with smaller savings will often hide their money at home and won't bother storing it at the bank. So that's, that's an important element. And so it goes on further to say actually that even before this pattern of nefarious behavior, the Ukrainian banking industry did not develop the same way as it did in the West after the collapse of the Soviet Union. The process of transferring funds was problematic due to a lack of infrastructure. With high degrees of corruption in the government, business and banking sectors, unlawful asset seizures by corrupt politicians, and the collapse of several Ukraine's prominent banks. It is the only uh, it is only reasonable that the decentralized nature of bitcoin appeals to the people. So I think the energy element is one thing, but I also think the political climate, which has been um, relatively unstable in a country like Ukraine, is actually one of the driving factors for the population being really open to cryptocurrency. And I find that uh, interesting from a governance perspective. I find it just a result of what happens when you have uh, a system like the Soviet Union, where there's too much centralized power with the government. So I believe they had a socialist a socialist system that's what the soviet union was so this idea of decentralization is actually progressive in a lot of different ways because when you have too much power in a centralized location sometimes that can have negative results so that was our little does anyone else have uh, anything to add with respect to the ukraine <laughs> The Ukraine article. No, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think very interesting. Yeah, yeah. But it is. I'm wondering. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Oh, no, no I was just going to say. It is oh. very interesting. <laughs> like yeah. you keep talking. Yeah. Looking forward uh, to the day like they develop like first class country like America or Canada actually adopt cryptocurrency as like the main, like an official way to like for transactions. That would be very interesting. Yeah, I think banks are starting to examine how to make that happen because they, if you can't beat them, join them. So banks don't don't want to lose power. They're adopting crypto, but there's a bit of there's a bit of irony with respect to that. Okay, I wanted to start off our next uh, segment with respect to things that are just amazing around the internet to uh, lead us into the final um, final bits of the podcast. 
list here with some fun or quirky or strange news that's entertaining. And the first article that I'd like to present here is a space hotel concept. So I am really obsessed with this because I find it fascinating. So uh, it's the world. So the article was on CNN and or is on CNN. And it's called the world's first space hotel scheduled to open in 2027. So basically, a Californian company uh, called the Gateway Foundation released plans for a cruise ship style hotel that could one day float above the Earth's atmosphere. Then so it's uh, got a very futuristic concept because it turns, they mimic the illusion of gravity. And uh, yeah, I I was wondering what you guys thought. Would you stay in such a hotel? Nick, would you, Nick, would you be afraid? Would you want Hacker Noon to have a conference up there? What, what are your thoughts? I'm generally apprehensive about going to space in general because of the Kessler effect and the fact that there is no atmosphere in space. (laughs) So if something does happen to the station, I'll be in a bit of trouble. I don't really like that. But it's very interesting. Like I would love to go at some point if it was safe somehow. Well, safer than it already is. It'll definitely be like a novelty. And Mm -hmm. if Hakunun were to have a conference and were to offer free tickets, I'll definitely want to go. But I think only under those conditions. I don't expect to be able to afford that in my lifetime. Okay, you heard that here, David and Ling. We would like to go to space <laughs> when when it's available. So thank you. And Hung, how do you feel? Would you go to this hotel? Only if it's free. Yeah. Only <laughs> if it's paid for by someone else. Yeah, very fair. Yeah, I actually, I think it would be out of this world to have an experience like that but that's so ellen you know that's so ellen i do question the asteroid element so uh, if the hotel is floating uh, would the hotel also have the ability to move itself so if an asteroid because there's a lot of them they float in space but potentially one could hit us at, at any time which is fun to think about so yeah that's my one concern hopefully the asteroid because it's it's like a circle i don't know if you guys saw so hopefully the asteroid would float through the the that might be taking a bit of a risk all right so i think we still have a little bit of time so i i think hung you wanted to maybe talk about squid game or not okay so nicholas you reviewed an article about the floating cities and how that's the future what could you tell us a little bit about that there was a uh, article uh, that i read this week about how the netherlands are experimenting in floating cities and some of the, it was a very interesting piece it touched on some of the logistical challenges of having a floating town but also like mentioned uh, is is about like the logistics and sustainability of such a building and some of the and the fact that we've done it before like as a species like hundreds of years ago i think it's really interesting because the ocean levels are rising i'm from singapore and we're like threatened by that so i always found the idea of a floating city very interesting when when growing up especially in like sci-fi properties so just reading about the fact that someone's actually gone and done it was really interesting fascinating yeah and hopefully we don't need to build more. We probably do, but it would be nice to see how it goes in the future. And I, maybe I would want to stay there because there's only the risk of drowning. 
and not asphyxiation. <laughs> only. Like, like, only. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's very, I feel like it's going to be very like, aesthetically pleasing. Mm. Like, I do, every time like people talk about like floating city, I think of Asgard, like Thor's country. Right? Yeah, Asgard. I think so. This is somehow related, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I'm from Vietnam, so the power of Vietnam is also as a risk of drowning and like, the sea level also rising in like in a part of Vietnam. So yeah, just for the sake of not drowning and affectionation, we do need some floating cities in some part of the world. But, like I hope to I hope to see it happen. Yeah, I agree because uh, if the water, if the sea levels continue rising, then especially the the cities that are closer to the the edges of the water, what's the official the coastal. Ban- yeah, so you know that are closer to they have a large risk of of ending up underwater. So making them float is quite quite clever in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, so I do wonder if the sea levels rising and and yeah, but then there's the thing of everything drying up. <laughs> so I wonder exactly how that will unfold. Okay, so I think I think this is probably the end of our podcast here, unless anyone has any urgent spiels or product placement elements. Okay, so I thank you very much for listening. I this is your for today, Ellen Stevens, and I was joined by my wonderful guests and. This podcast is uh, produced by Alex. Uh, so thank you and Bye. have a wonderful day or have night. a good one. Or have yes, a have a great week. Have a great week. Yeah, have a good one. Afternoon podcast. <laughs>